Listener discretion is strongly advised. Sometimes this podcast contains themes of a sexual nature in relation to the crimes that we talk about. This podcast contains triggers such as violence and or abuse and sometimes contains adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone, welcome back to If I Go Missing, and let's get going with your dose of true crime family time. Most of y'all know, but for any of our new true crime family members out there, I'm your host Megan, here with my mom. And I'm co-host Lynn. This week we have another episode coming your way to hopefully up the creepiness factor. This episode is about a pilot from Melbourne named Frederick Valentich. He was 20 years old when he set off from a Melbourne airport on a training exercise over the Bass Strait, but he never arrived at King Island. That was his destination though. However, he radioed in that there was a strange craft following him, and the last piece of communication he had with the radio tower was a metallic scraping sound. The audio you're gonna hear is the last known words of Frederick Valentin. This is Delta Sierra Juliet. Is there any known traffic below 5,000 feet? No known traffic. Seems to be a large aircraft below 5,000 feet. What type of aircraft is it? I cannot confirm. It's four bright, seems to me like landing lights. The aircraft has just passed over me at at least 1,000 feet above. Is there any Air Force aircraft in the vicinity? No known aircraft in the vicinity. Seems to be playing some sort of game. He's flying over me. Delta Sierra Juliet, it's not an aircraft, it's... Can you describe the, uh, the aircraft? As it's flying past, it's a long shape. Cannot identify it, it has such speed. It's before me right now, Melbourne. How large would the, um, the object be? Seems like it's stationary. What it's doing right now is orbiting. The thing is just orbiting on top of me. It's also got a green light and a sort of metallic-like. It's shiny on the outside. It's just vanished. That strange aircraft's hovering on top of me again. It's hovering and it's not an aircraft. So you've all just heard the last known words of Frederick Valentich. What is going through your mind? Other than the creepy audio and the weird thing that's orbiting or circling his head that just vanished? Well, I don't know. Is there anything else we possibly know about this case? I swear, the part that got me is when he said, I think it's playing a game with me. Yes, yeah, a little creepy. I don't want to play a game with you in the air. I don't want to play a game with you on the ground. Yeah. I don't want to do it here, there, or anywhere, Sam, I am. And then it just vanishes. Yeah, and then, like, the last thing we hear is that... Yeah. That, whatever that sound was. Staticky, whatever sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other than the unexplainable, other things we know about this case or about the pilot himself. He was born in 1958. Valentich was training to become a commercial pilot at the time of his disappearance. He had 150 hours of flight time and was allowed to fly at night. Despite 
despite working to become a commercial pilot, Valentich had actually failed all five commercial license examination subjects. And he failed them all before he went missing. The 20-year-old pilot had also been involved in a couple of air incidents. There was that one time he strayed into controlled airspace above Sydney, which he was let off with a warning. And then twice he flew into a cloud deliberately, which prosecutors were considering pressing charges against him for. Okay, so. Is he a clueless pilot? Or, um. A bit of a daredevil? Um, rebellious? Devil may care? Um. Rebel without a cause? Hmm. Okay. More facts. Frederick's final flight took place on the evening of October 21st, 1978. Valentich was attempting a training flight over the Bass Strait, which is this area between the Australian mainland and Tasmania. But you remember from the Theo Hayes episode where we talked about Tasmania being right off the coast? Mm -hmm. So there's actually like the mainland, that little strip, which is the Bass Strait. And then Tasmania, and that is the area he was flying over. Hmm, interesting. To make this flight, he was piloting a Cessna 182L, which is a light aircraft in weight, anyways, compared to other aircrafts. The exact path of the flight was approximately 125 miles from Morabin to King Island. Any hope? of this being a routine training flight however went out the window at 706 p.m when valentick radioed in he contacted melbourne flight service which is basically like ground control right. and he let them know that an unidentified aircraft was following him the service however told him that there was no traffic near him at that time and some of this can actually be heard on the audio yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think, too, when the stealth bomber come out. Seems like that was after we got married in 80, uh, 84, when we get married. Um, Good job. Thank you, 84, 85. Look, uh, he's getting divorced now, folks. <laughs> I'm really bad about that. He's learned after all these years. But, I mean, the stealth bomber um, was the most coolest airplane because it was undetectable by radar. Because of the material it's made out of. That's really awesome. I, if you want to go logically. It is kind of oblong shape, too, if you look at it. Mm-hmm. It's actually a beautiful aircraft. Um, There's only one problem with your theory. It was not made then. It was introduced in April of 1997. Okay. I knew. I couldn't remember. Two hmm. years after I was born. Yeah. And. This is 78. So. Yeah. You just don't know what the military was doing, though, do you? It could have been but, a test flight. You never know. Yeah. And the fact that it just vanished could have been the test flight didn't go too well. But this um, is also an American plane that would not have been flying over Australia, too. Shouldn't have been, yeah. Shouldn't have been, yeah. I don't know. That was. I'm trying to make logic. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Trying to make logic because, you know, I mean... Um, Devil's advocate. There you go. I tend to do that a lot. I mean... You know, unless a little green man, because there was a light, green light shining, but... Nobody yeah. wants to believe that. No, no, no. Mm -mm. Well, his reputation precedes him, too. 
Yeah, and unfortunately, that happens to a lot of people. It does. It does. Um, Just because there are things in your life that were reckless, that were bad decisions, that, um, yeah, that could have got you in trouble. Oh, it finally did, didn't it? No, that still does not mean that he deserved whatever happened to him and he's, he's vanished or whatever. It, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's the root of his vanishing exactly. either. Yeah. Exactly. So you really can't go this I'm like, okay, let's think of an aircraft that could have been there. Let's think of... I mean, I definitely yeah. think something was there because he was able to describe it in such detail. Yeah, yeah there wasn't anything left out. I mean, it, it wasn't like, you know, there's this like rectangular... Yeah. Possibly, maybe, it, maybe it was an oval and it kind yeah. of flew to the left. And no, I mean, he's like, no, it's yeah. playing games. It's hovering over me. Yeah, he was very specific. Yeah, like he, he yeah. looked, I mean, he sounded like he was like literally watching something fly around him, like orbit around yeah. him. And as bad as it sounds, if he had been high, he had some darn good details to be high. So I don't think that's a case here. You know what I'm saying? It's like, dude, what you on? You on the good stuff? No, he still has some really, really good details here to be something besides legit. Maybe not high in that sense. What if? Aeronautically high? What? Yeah, that's something that nobody's thought about. Mm -hmm. What if he had, what if he had experienced some sort of aeronautical high and maybe he was hallucinating? I don't know. I mean, he was a believer in UFOs, so mm. maybe that was a thing. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe the more we get into the story, we mm. can look it up and see yeah. if we still think it fits in. But, you know, I mean, I know, like, for instance, I mean, it's kind of going down when we're talking about being up, but mm-hmm. scuba divers, if they come yeah. up too fast, they get nitrogen bubbles in their brain. Exactly. And it can kill you. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, I mean, what if he had some sort of oxygen malfunction and something like that happened? Um, uh, Yeah, little things. Was he in normal flight range? When, you know, because, I mean, of course, they were radar in him. So that would make me think he would be. Right. True. Regardless of what the flight service was telling him, Frederick was insistent upon the fact that something was following him. He described the unknown craft to the service saying it had four bright landing lights and that it flew a thousand feet above him at a high speed. See, that's really detail. Very. I mean, it's really detail. He also kept reporting the movements of the object for five minutes, saying that he believed the pilot of the craft was toying with him or playing games with him. Like, it really sounds like a very Badly timed game of chicken, almost. Except yeah. only one person's playing chicken. Yeah. Yeah, it, I don't know. The details are insane. And he then went on to describe the craft as orbiting around yeah. his plane. I mean, and how could a plane do that? Because that plane's going to have to come up, like, beside him, fly, speed up, fly over in front of him, slow down and go, you know, to orbit, that's to go around. Yeah, and you're going to have to, like, speed up, go in front. Slow yeah. down, go behind. Yeah. That's a lot of skill. Yeah. I don't even think the Blue Angels have that kind of skill. Yeah, that's a, that's and a, they're and talented. It's dangerous. it's dangerous. You have to you have to know everything that other pilot is doing to do that. 
Yeah, because I mean, what life. if I dropped my aptitude to get away from you? Or what, you mm-hmm. know, what if I did something to get away from you? Because you're freaking me out. Yeah, exactly. It's, it literally sounds like a game of chicken that only yeah. one person was playing. Right. And the one person that was playing it is not the one that went missing. It's the one that we can't identify. Yeah. Then when asked to describe the outer appearance of this craft, he says that it is shiny, metallic, and has a green light on it. Then things started to get really, really dire. Valentick reported engine trouble to the service. Officials asked him to identify the other aircraft again after reporting the engine problems, but his last words were, it's hovering and it's not an aircraft. Yeah, that's not creepy. The transmission concluded with 17 seconds of metallic scraping noises before it was cut off. These 17 seconds are very important, though, because it tells ground control that for at least those 17 seconds, Frederick was still broadcasting, meaning he still was intentionally holding down the button to let ground control know what was going on. He wanted them to hear what he was experiencing. He was intentionally still trying to reach out to them during those 17 seconds. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's not creepy at all. Not at all. I don't have think goosebumps or anything. <laughs> think about, I mean, obviously something's going on. What's this guy thinking? I'm in the middle of freaking air. What am I going to do? Get out and get it run away? First step's a doozy. <laughs> yeah. First step's really big, chick. But, you know, what's he going to do? Nothing. Sit there and deal with it. You are a sitting duck. Mm-hmm. 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 It's crazy. And those 17 seconds would be the last time anyone would ever hear from Valentick as the Cessna 182 never arrived at King Island and neither aircraft nor Valentick were seen again. UFOs, come on. Like, I mean, seriously, I mean, I mean, just like we don't have enough to think about. Let's, mm-hmm. have, let's have space dudes out there abducting our airplanes and our pilots. That's a good idea. It's just, it's, it's crazy. What was that? What was it they said on Battleship that we used to watch when the aliens oh, gosh, came there? Yeah. What was that? It was, um, it was Rihanna's character that said the quote. Something about her grandfather always said that they would come and that he prayed that he wouldn't be alive when they did or something like that. Yeah. And, yeah. Gotta, gotta say, as, you know, as, as not okay as I am with my mortality, I'm kind of leaning towards her grandfather's theory. <laughs> and interestingly enough, no one even jumped that conclusion. Or not right at first. So, I don't know why, but no one thought that he was really seeing a UFO or was abducted by an alien. Those theories, again, they would come later. At first, people just assumed that Valentick had crashed his plane, and an air and sea search was performed in the area where Valentick last reported his coordinates, but nothing came up. So, it was starting to get dark. They didn't have much light left. I've learned this from listening to some other podcasts. During my chronic insomnia nights. <laughs> and um, they didn't have much time to search. So a full-scale search really wasn't mounted until the next day. Mm-hmm. And 
the waters of the Bass Strait, I've heard, can move pretty quickly. And with his aircraft being such lightweight, it could have been carried away a decent, you know, stretch of nautical miles pretty fast. Maybe that's why they never found it. Eventually, the Australian Department of Transportation took over the case, but they came up just as empty-handed as everyone else. Witnesses did see planes landing or flying overhead, but no one saw planes crashing. Eventually, Valentik was presumed dead and the case was closed. I presume he's dead, so we're just going to close it. Really? <laughs> okay. That, that's real good for the victim. I mean, he's just like... Yeah. You know, I think he's dead, so we're just going to let it go. Yeah. Really? No. Like, mm. No, you can't just be, do that and then you're done with the case. Mm -hmm. It's like it's a human being you're ditching. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we've been doing this for a few months. I don't think he's going to come back. You want to go get tacos? Exactly. Like, exactly. no. Let's go get coffee and a donut. Come on, man. Order tacos and keep searching. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Like, no. Like, no. it's just, that, that, that's very like, eh, let's close it. Because if you know how the water is in that area, then that just means you you know for a fact when you start your search. All right, this is the coordinates as we last talked to him, and I wonder how far that amount of, you know exactly. Yeah, how fast does current me, travel? Let me let me go with the direction of the current for hundred miles, fifty miles, something. Yeah, I mean at least do something like that, or you know, you know he's having engine trouble, mm -hmm. so look around really good there yes yeah. and they did find an oil slick and they tested it or whatever they do with that right. but it was determined not to actually be from his plane it didn't match up okay hmm. they may have tried to close the case but it was far from over his family especially his father weathered the media frenzy and exclamations by the public that their Frederick had been abducted by little green men and held a vigil at the lighthouse at Cape Ottawa every year on the anniversary of his disappearance. 20 years after the doomed pilot and his plane vanished, his family erected a memorial plaque. But it's not what was done in memory that has people questioning what really happened that night. The recordings he left us from that night have been described as some of the best proof we have that aliens really do exist. You know, I tried it, you know, I was devil's advocate. Why are we so pompous that we believe we're the only beings of any kind in the world? I mean, nothing personal. I love it to death. But no, I don't think the Autobots exist. I think that's probably a fake planet. Duh. But, I mean, Mars can inhabit life. It's our sister planet. I'm pretty sure they, they've proven there's microorganisms on it. I mean, I wouldn't so, quote me on it, but... Yeah. So, I mean, there, there are things like yeah. that. I mean, I could go biblical, but I just, I think that... Well, I mean, like, if, if you believe in the possibility of aliens, what's to stop you from believing in the possibility of ghosts and the paranormal? Or the sixth sense or psychic abilities? Crazier things have happened in this world. Yeah. Five years after Valentick went missing, an engine cowl flap washed ashore on Flinders Island. 
The Bureau of Air Safety Investigation noted that the part came from the same type of craft that Valentech was piloting and that it had some serial numbers within the same range as Valentech's plane. But, you know, it wasn't a full serial number, so they couldn't, you know, 100% without a shadow of a doubt right. say it came from his plane. After the mysterious disappearance, however ironically dark, the public learned from Frederick's father, Guido Valentique, that Frederick was an ardent believer in UFOs and often worried about being attacked by one. It also came out that Frederick Valentich had applied twice to the Royal Australian Air Force and was rejected both times for inadequate educational experience. He was also studying to be a commercial pilot, but had failed the examinations twice, as we've previously mentioned. He had also received several warnings, again, as we've talked about, after flying into a restricted zone in Sydney once and twice into clouds. As far as what happened that night, and I didn't even know this was a thing until researching for this case, and I can't believe I'm about to say this word, UFologists pretty much adopted the Valentic case from the start with claims of eyewitness reports seeing the craft that Valentic described in his final communications. Okay, and it took him five years to get involved? It also took him five years to speak up about what they saw, too. So, you know, I don't know. You know, we have this discussion a lot about different stuff and politics and whatever, whatever. It's like, Really? How, how many years did it take you to realize, hey, that happened to me too, or hey, it might have been a UFO? Really? I think a lot of times people, people don't like to think of things like that. Anything that has to do with the unknown, the occult, yeah. what else could be out there. Well, I mean, I guess you look like a quacko. You know what? They, I saw UFOs I mean, too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, then you're going to be the person that cried UFO. <laughs> yeah, so, UFO. yeah, I mean, then there's that. But I feel like a lot of times people would rather just not say anything and kind of write it off than actually attempt to face the fact that we might not be the only people here. There well, might be other things out there. There are so many people who do cry you up. Yeah. I'm like, dude, you weren't even in a county that night. How'd you see it? You know. Yeah. But there are people who do it. Let me get about 10 seconds of fame and fortune. Yeah. And um, so then the people who actually saw something. I'm not saying they saw a UFO, but they saw something. They're like, oh, I'm not saying a darn thing. You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I mean, it could it could be as simple as that. They yeah. either don't want to look crazy, or yeah. they don't want to admit to what they think they've seen. Or they don't want to get involved. That too. Because you have no way of proving that I'm not the nut job that wants media attention. I actually saw something. Apparently, one of these witnesses was a Victorian farmer. And when I say Victorian, I don't mean Victorian era. I mean, as in the Victoria province in Australia. So, a farmer from, you know, Victoria, Australia, who resided a decent distance away in a town called Adelaide, would later claim that he saw the UFO on his property the next day. 
He said that he saw Valentix plane stuck on the side of it and leaking oil. A Victorian UFO group who dug up the story, however, could not find the identity of the farmer and they have been looking for him since 2013. Now, the farmer's missing too? I don't think the farmer's missing. I just don't think he's like coming out being like, hey, I'm the farmer that said this and that. Okay, got me a little, a little sketchy there for a minute. Hmm. I mean, he maybe, I don't know what happened to him out in his life. <laughs> Either way, they can't find him. I don't think he's missing. I just right. think they can't find him because they don't know who he is. Right. But, he wasn't the only one who saw something that night. Six weeks after the disappearance, amateur photographer Roy Mendefold came forward. He claimed that on the evening of the disappearance, he had set up a camera at Cape Otway, planning to take pictures of the sunset. In the last photograph, there was a black spot in the upper right corner. At first, he believed that it was a developing error. However, a photo examiner found no dirt or damage on the negative. The strange mark was determined to be in the photograph. American photo analysts determined that the mark was a metallic object, apparently in a cloud of exhaust, and it was apparently a mile from the camera. That's not creepy. Unlike a myriad of other UFO sightings at the time, the claims of 20-year-old pilot Frederick Valentich could not be easily dismissed as a hoax. Unlike others who said they had seen strange lights or crafts in the sky, Valentich was midway through a detailed and recorded description of his sighting when he disappeared forever over the Bass Strait. Now, the Bass Strait is a tricky place. It's one of those parts of the world where strange things are seen and even stranger things happen. The Bass Strait Triangle is just one of those places like the Bermuda Triangle. This mysterious part of the world runs from the southern coast of Victoria in Australia over the stretch of water that's the Bass Strait and into the mysterious regions of Tasmania the same area where Frederick was flying. Whether there is a connection or not is unclear, but in the immediate weeks before and following the Frederick Valentich encounter, a wave of strange sightings broke out across the coastlines of Tasmania and Victoria. For example, on October 9th, a husband and wife witnessed a bright light above them that actually came down to the level of their car, maintaining pace beside them as they drove. Exactly a month later in Hobart, a taxi driver was suddenly forced to slam on his brakes due to a strange green glow in the middle of the road. His communication radio also went out. By the time he had returned his gaze to the road, the green object was nowhere to be seen. And it doesn't even end there. One of this is getting a little interesting. As in, where might it end? Where it goes, no one knows. Definitely. On November 25th in San Fraud, a woman reported a doorway of light 
suddenly appearing in front of her property. Perhaps even stranger, she could see through the doorway to her driveway on the other side. This last account, crazy as it sounds, is very similar to both ancient texts and other contemporary accounts that speak of portals or gateways to other dimensions. And all of this is in that stretch of land known as the Bass Strait Triangle. As strange as all of this sounds, some people don't think it's that odd. And I think that might be even stranger. There are those who believe Frederick was an accident waiting to happen. What you talking about, Willis? So, the young pilot was actually enthralled with UFOs, as we've talked about. He was, like, an ardent believer. He was the film buff. He watched films, accumulated articles on the topic, the whole nine yards. Earlier that year, according to his father, Valentich had himself observed a UFO moving away very fast. He had expressed to his father his worry about what could happen if such presumed extraterrestrial craft should ever attack. Some people have theorized his deep belief in flying saucers may have contributed to his death, and not in the way that some saucer buffs might imagine. They actually are leaning more towards the thought that Valentich might have staged his disappearance, but the evidence doesn't really support this for me. Nevertheless, Valentich did give two contradictory reasons for his flight to King Island. Number one, he was going to pick up some friends, and that's what he told flight officials. Number two, he was going to pick up crayfish. However, it could just be who you're talking to. Maybe I'm going to pick up friends and crayfish. And I just don't feel like mentioning the whole thing to one person. Yeah. Maybe you don't like these friends I'm going to pick up. So I'm just be like, hey, I'm going to go pick up some crayfish and I'll be right back. Well, not only that, what um, if, if he's staging it, what do you do with the aircraft? Put it in his pocket? I mean, it's an airplane. Mm-hmm. You, you can't just stick it over there under the brush and hide it. You, I mean, I know I always made jokes about pocket cars you could pick yeah. up and put in your pocket, but that's not a thing. No, even pocket cars are really too big for that. But then, you know, why lie? I mean, I guess because officials probably wouldn't have granted him flight permission for that night to go off on, you know, a wild UFO chase. But what was he really up to, though? In addition to wanting to log more flight hour experience, like, had he possibly decided to go look for UFOs? And rather than admit it, offered others a more legitimate sounding reason for his flight. You know, picking up friends or, you know, some crayfish. In short, he may not simply have encountered the UFO, as some people think, but instead went looking for it. If so, his encounter is not really surprising. A true believer... Robert Schaefer observes that Valentick was probably inclined to assume anything is a UFO if he could not immediately identify it. And, I mean, you know, if you're in the aircraft industry, it would kind of stand to reason. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, especially if you're training to take all these tests to be in the Royal Air Force and all of that. You know, I don't know what plane this is. It ain't our plane. Mm -hmm. It ain't your plane. 
whose plane is it? You kind of thing. I mean, that hence the term unidentified flying object. Don't mean it's alien. It just means it's unidentified and it flies. There you go. But, you know, to me, it sounds more like the craft found him. He sounded on the audio clip a little, little panicky. Yeah, like, it's not like this is something he went looking for, like. Right. He may have actually gone to get friends in crayfish and. Right. Something else got him. Yeah. Interesting. So, what did the young pilot really see? That night, it was clear skies, and he described four bright lights that he mistakenly first thought were an airplane's landing lights. They were above him, and except for his own movements, which more on this later, seemed to be just hovering. Then, twice and quite correctly, he realized it was definitely not an aircraft. As it happens, a computer search of the sky for the day, time, and place of Valentik's last flight reveals that four points of bright light he would almost certainly have seen were the following. Venus, which was at its very brightest. Mars, Mercury, and the bright star Antares. These four lights would have represented a diamond shape. Given the well-known tendency of viewers to connect the dots, and so could have produced the perceived notion of an aircraft or a UFO. In fact, the striking conjunction was shaped as a vertically elongated diamond, thus explaining Valentich saying that the UFO was of a long shape. But then, how would the planets circle him? Okay, yeah, well, then there's that. I mean, not all of it can be explained as glowing planets in the distance. They came close yeah. to him, they circled him, they toyed with him. And he's still, yeah. Yeah. That's stretching the ex explanation boundaries. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I tried. <laughs> As to the UFO's other characteristics, being metallic or shiny in appearance could have been due to the power of suggestion alone, according to some. Having connected the dots, Valentich would likely have gone in to fill the area as solid or even metallic. We must remember that Valentich's impressions are those of someone who was confused about what he was seeing. He didn't seem very confused to I'm me. The same thing. I, he didn't seem like I. I think it is a metallic color. I think it is. No, he uh, knew. He was like, it's metallic. It is shiny. It is green. You know. Yeah. No, he was totally describing. Um, I think it's a greenish tint. No, he was flat describing. Yeah. No, like what? What shade of green do you think it is? Because I'm pretty sure he would know. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't very much. Um, it looks like. I think it might be. It wasn't very much that. No. It was very detailed sounding to me. Mm-hmm. Some say that that green light we keep talking about could have been part of the confusion. So, if you remember his first description of the UFO, it involved only four bright white lights. He made no mention at that time of a green one. And it could actually have been nothing more than the Cessna's own navigation light on its own right wingtip. 
that green light or its reflection on the windshield could easily have been superimposed onto the UFO sighting, according to some. A witness on the ground who described having seen a green light just above Valentich's plane had not mentioned that aspect of the story at the time. However, many years later, after the green light was made public, he did mention the detail. But he is only identified now by a pseudonym. He will not give his real name. Nevertheless, he said in the words of his interviewers that, quote, its color was similar to the navigation lights on an airplane, end quote. If the Cessna was indeed close enough to land as to be seen by the man and his two nieces, there's a simple explanation that the airplane's altitude, which is like a steep angle of bank, was such that its own right wing tip was up. And so, its green navigation light would then appear above the Cessna. As the witnesses stated, the light was positioned like it was riding on top of the airplane. And it kept a constant position, according to the witnesses anyways. But, per usual, there are some problems with the main witness's description. As his interviewers acknowledged, his recollection of the angular size of the airplane lights is too large by perhaps several orders of magnitude to be correct. But what about the UFO's movements when it was not hovering? So it's now clear that since we have identified the UFO as probably a conjunction of the four celestial lights, aka planets, that, you know, this was not a UFO moving in relation to the plane, but rather the opposite. The plane moving in relation to the stationary lights. There's actually evidence from the transcript that this is so. After the UFO has repeatedly seemed to fly over Valentich, he says, what I'm doing right now is orbiting and the thing is just orbiting on top of me. This points to what was really happening to the poor and experienced pilot. Distracted by the UFO, he may have then been deceived by this illusion of a tilted horizon. And this can actually happen when the sun has gone down, but still brightens part of the horizon. While, of course, you know, the rest gets gradually darker and farther away. And this imbalance of lighting can cause the horizon to appear tilted so that in compensating by leveling the wings, the pilot will inadvertently begin not really to orbit, but to spiral downward at first very slowly, then with an increasing acceleration. At a most critical time, therefore, when he should have been in full alert mode, paying attention to his instruments, people suspect that Valentich was instead engaged in something that was extremely distracting, flying while excitedly focusing on and talking about a UFO. This, as we now see, was a recipe for disaster with Valentich succumbing to what's known as spatial disorientation and his plane beginning what is commonly referred to as the graveyard spiral. Actually, all of that 
I've, I've heard that more than once. Um, that's why you, you don't fly plane like we're talking about driving a car. You fly it by your instrumentation panel, mm-hmm. period. I mean, that's that's what you look to for everything. Yeah. So, okay, I'll give him that. Him looking around so much could just literally be... His undoing. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And that's just a matter of experience. Yeah, yeah. True. Further corroboration of this may come from the pilot's statement that the engine was, like, rough idling just seconds away from his final contact. The planes moving in a tightening spiral would cause an increase in G-forces with a consequent decrease in fuel flow resulting in the engine's rough running. Or, at that point, the Cessna may have already become inverted, producing the same effect because that type of plane had what's called a gravity-fed fuel system. The only problem with this theory is that planes like the Cessna 182 with those gravity-fed fuel systems cannot fly inverted for long. We know he had been talking to ground control back in Melbourne for a while, and then he had at least 17 extra seconds of intentionally holding down the comms button to transmit back down to the ground. So this actually made a lot of people familiar with the type of plane that he was piloting believe that he could not have been flying inverted because he spoke to ground control for too long. Longer than the engines would have allowed for if he had in fact been flying inverted. Okay, so that kind of hinders that theory. While pieces potentially matching a few serial numbers have washed up ashore over the years, that doesn't mean without a shadow of a doubt that he crashed. Especially because something super similar happened five years earlier back in the United States. Oh, really? What's that? Okay, so Frederick's encounter almost mirrors this other incident that occurred on the other side of the world from Australia in a place called Mansfield, Ohio on October 18th, 1973, five years prior to Valentick's incident. And this specific incident in Ohio happened when Captain Lawrence Coyne and his crew also encountered something mysterious. They were flying at 2,500 feet when a crew member alerted the captain that a strange object was approaching. Coyne dropped his altitude down to 1,700 feet, but the object followed the helicopter down and then settled in a position in front of it. The object and the helicopter were flying at 1,200 knots at the time. Although Coyne had his controls set for descent, he found that the helicopter was in fact in an ascent. At 3,500 feet, the crew heard a loud thump and the helicopter broke loose from the object. During this period, Coyne tried to radio airfields, but neither the VHF or the UHF radios were working. This craft was described as being a cigar-shaped and moving in a nearly identical manner to the one reported by Valentick. 
Coin and his crew were lucky to make it back in one piece, whereas Valentic was not so lucky. It would be easy to dismiss Valentic's encounter and subsequent disappearance as an unfortunate accident and that the whole UFO angle was perhaps a delusion if it weren't for all the other evidence that came to light, which kind of supports the UFO claim. At 2 p.m. on that fateful day, Witnesses saw a UFO emerge from a strange cloud over Curie Island. The sky was clear except for the cloud and the only moving object was the UFO. At about 4.30 p.m., two cigar-shaped objects were reported over Bass Strait. They described them to be about three-quarters of the size of a Boeing 747 aircraft, joined together with two silver beams. The movement of the objects were confirmed by a string of witnesses along its flight path. At 6.45 p.m., merely 21 minutes before Valentick first radioed the tower to report the unknown object, Roy Manifold photographed the object coming out of the water near Cape Ottawa Lighthouse. These photos have since undergone intense analysis as we mentioned and so far have been proven to be real. Researchers have found over 50 reported observations in that area which occurred before, during, and after his encounter. These were compiled and investigated by the Victorian UFO Research Society. And taking all of the evidence together, this has become one of the most compelling incidents to prove the existence of not only UFOs, but of UFO abductions as well. Only one question remains now. Where is Frederick Valentick and what really happened? While everyone has their different theories, Frederick's father remains steadfast in his belief that his son was abducted and will return safely one day. And I get it, as a parent, it's the easiest outcome to cope with, but that doesn't make it any less of a possible explanation. Sadly, it really, really makes the only logical explanation. Yeah, that's what's the crazy thing. Yeah, that's the yeah, that's just crazy. I mean, just where you sit here and go, come on, y'all, we can't be the only living things in the world mm -hmm. you also go come on people good lord aliens come on i i don't know i don't know it, it makes you like question literally everything yeah it really does i mean because this, this man vanished he's somewhere he saw something yeah yeah and i mean the theories and the logics and yeah i get all that stuff he couldn't have been inverted for this reason mm -hmm. inversion makes sense because he would have been disoriented yeah. Thinking he was oriented and all that makes sense, but. And I feel like we've tried to play devil's advocate well enough that yeah. we're out of things to advocate for. Yeah, yeah, definitely so. All right, you guys, always remember, be smart, be safe, and talk to your mama so you don't go missing. And take her advice. Don't push it. Thank you for listening to another episode of If I Go Missing. I'm your host, Megan, and I put a lot of thought and hard work into these episodes. I write, edit, and produce them all myself, and it means a lot to me that you guys take the time to listen. If you would like to follow us on social media, 
our Instagram is at if I go missing podcast. Then we also have our Twitter, and that one is at Megan Noel Pod. If you want to reach out and suggest a case, you can do that on Instagram or Twitter by sending us a DM. We also have a Facebook page called Megan Noel Podcast, and we also have discussion groups for the podcast. And the name of the discussion group is If I Go Missing, a podcast.